film journey through the career of Charlize Theron. My name is Robin Hitchcock and with me as always are Bob Shields. Hello. Regina Connolly. Hello. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Mike Rubino. Hello. You know him as one of the creative directors of the Arcade Comedy Theater here in Pittsburgh. And we've asked him to come on the show to talk about The Curse of the Jade Scorpion, Woody Allen's 2001 slapstick noir. Slapstick Screwball? Screwball is what the word I was looking for. (laughs) There are fireworks. There There, are. There are. Okay, so let's get to our one sound reviews. Uh, 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 Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Was that getting slapped in the face? That was the ending. Oh, Oh, it was largely like, and then the ending happened, and I was like, what? We'll get there, we'll get there. (laughs) This movie actually features Woody Allen acting extensively, which I thought was going to make it harder to watch than Celebrity, but it didn't for me, because here's the thing, is that he was still so present in Celebrity. Yes. And I think that Woody Allen is somewhat charming completely divorced from who he is in real life like the character of Woody Allen I enjoy like as we discussed last week like I kind of like Woody Allen's movies and I was reminded of that watching this and it's so much more effective when it's actually him as opposed to Kenneth Branagh pretending to be. I think when yeah. he's absent and it's just the specter of him, it's yeah. also so much bigger to be like, everything about celebrity I really dislike. And he's also like in like the shadowy background of it. Yeah. But when he's actually there in front of you, it he not to be literal, but he just seems very small. It's true. <laughs> Nobody else talks like Woody Allen, so it's always weird when other actors try to talk like Woody Allen, and it's yeah. not very successful. <laughs> yeah, that is true. So, Mike, you are a Woody Allen fan for, like, a, a, a lifelong fan? Oh, well, I feel like I've got to... Uh, that comes with a lot of baggage nowadays. <laughs> yes, so I more meant, like, I'm happy then. to unpack it. <laughs> uh, he was... I, I find his, his films very influential in my own, like, comedic sensibilities mm-hmm. he's always been a problematic person but much more so nowadays than he was when i kind of when i first started watching him which was like in seventh or eighth grade and i started watching his like goofy movies like bananas and things like that but yes but i do have most of his films i've seen every single one of them up until blue jasmine yeah so i can at least speak to his canon yeah and where this falls in it and, and so it. not to because mike's not going to participate in the rankings at the end of the episode so where would you say this falls in the canon like what like what quartile yeah yes. sure sure well i mean I'll, i will quickly i'll say that so this film is part of his like dreamworks films so he had mm-hmm. a he had a deal with dreamworks for a period in the 2000s and he made very specific films that all kind of feel similar. One of which is Small Time Crooks, which is one of my favorite Woody Allen movies. I remember liking um, that. I can't tell you much bank, about it. He's a he's a bank robber, and they but yeah. he ends up robbing like a accidentally faking like a cookie business, and it becomes more successful yeah. than a bank robbery. Um, <laughs> this was the movie he made right after that. Okay, and so I 
find I found this movie more charming than I remembered it being back in the day. Back because in, you were disappointed then. Right. Back in the day, I was like, not as good as Small Time Crooks. Now I'm like, well, in the grand scheme of his later work, it's, I think, maybe better than some of his other stuff. He's gotten very hit or miss in the... To, from the 2000s on, so you got to celebrate, like, his minor victories if you're a fan of his. <laughs> one thing I noticed is that this one looks like a movie, like, you yes. got a real yeah. cinematographer, right. and so it was, in that way, a departure from both Celebrity, which we just watched, and also the recent Woody Allen movies that I've seen. Well, I was just curious because, like, I, uh, despite having a movie podcast, like, don't know very much about movies, <laughs> but so, like, what about, like, his comedy, like, did you find, or his filmmaking, like, influential, or, like, what is the... I know that he's a revered filmmaker was for a time before personal life stuff became more problematic for him. But like what uh, aspects of his filmmaking uh, do you like or find inspirational? Well, I think his I think his writing is is often more uh, influential to me than his filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Like he's he's got a very kind of it's very witty. It's very smart. But it's also like skews towards like surrealist a little bit uh here and there his earlier funnier films um mm -hmm. were very much in the vein of like airplane and, and things like that where they were more just parodies on a on a on a genre or a feel um i think his filmmaking is interesting i i consider him closer to like a tarantino where he is borrowing so much from just other filmmakers that he likes mm -hmm. and regurgitating it back. With him, it's mainly like Fellini and, and Bergman and things like that. So it's like he acted as a, he kind of learned how to direct better by watching things, but then he kind of stopped directing in like the mid nineties and just kind of went on autopilot. So if you want to look for his like good directing, it's like in the seventies and eighties films, okay. like where, you know, it was like nominated for an Oscar for like Zelig for special effects. So it's like, wait, really? Yeah. Huh. I mean, so, he won best director for Annie Hall, right? Yes. Okay. Which I, mean, I think is valid. Valid. Yeah. Totally. Easily one of my favorite movies yeah. still, but like, yeah, he kind of went on autopilot at some point and started to, adhering to just like a movie a year mm -hmm. and no matter what. And, um, <laughs> it's and, like December 15th and he's like, crap! Yeah. He's like, Get yeah. Alec Baldwin on the phone! Yeah. <laughs> no, no, right, Mo. Well, like, all year long. He basically, like, there was a, a very scathing article magazine, it might have been Vanity Fair or something, about how he just is not a creative person anymore, and yeah. he just pulls notes out of a drawer and makes them into movies, and it's very autopilot. That um, was where I learned what we talked about in last week's episode, how he pretty much just takes one take of everything. Yeah, and it's very apparent in this movie, too, like, where he, right. like, is actually going up on his lines and, like, flubbing words. This movie is not really evident of, or, like, an exemplary of his, his work, but I think that his... The way that he was a sponge and sort of made famous directors or art house directors accessible through comedy, I think is an interesting. That's actually, interesting that's a really thing. interesting thought. Yeah. That's why we asked you to be on here. Yeah. <laughs> For your interesting thoughts. Well, thank you. <laughs> so the plot, and I'm not going to say the plot, so that's just what it is. This movie has a plot. It has a real plot. Yes. This is a real movie. Unlike <laughs> Celebrity. Celebrity. <laughs> celebrity is just a series of events. Yeah. Uh, celebrity is not good. Yeah. What, what happens? So it starts off, Woody Allen is introduced and he is an insurance investigator. 
much like the character in Memento. Memento is your go-to for an insurance <laughs> investigator. It's the only other movie I can think of that with a star or the main Isn't character is an insurance Double Indemnity? I haven't seen that. I've never even heard of that. <laughs> well, that's about insurance fraud. Okay. It's possible he's just a regular detective. Anyway, me- yes, Memento <laughs> is my go-to for insurance fraud. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Movie starts, he has just cracked a, uh, an insurance case. Off-screen. Off-screen. <laughs> he has recovered... Uh, whatever has been stolen and figured out who it was and turned them over to the cops, etc. And then you see him getting back into the office and then you see like how he interacts with everyone in his office. And he seems to be very well liked by everyone, uh, except for this one lady who is an efficiency expert who is much younger than him and has taken away all his files to file them in some other place. It's also set in the 1940s, we should imagine. Uh, should yeah. imagine. It's, uh, the, the, it opens with a big 1940s, like, you know, uh, Civil War style title. And everybody is wearing a short, wide tie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's yeah, how like, you know. Cartoons, like this, the, the, the private detectives that you see wear cartoonishly short ties. That was the style then. Uh, was it really? Yes. I thought that was the style of cartoons. <laughs> I think that that was the was real the style. style. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Um, but uh, so anyway, so I he... mean, I wasn't around. <laughs> So uh, he obviously has it out with this lady, and this lady says, "Hey, I don't work for you. You don't. You can't this order lady me around." Played, sorry to interrupt you. This lady played by Helen Hunt. Yes, marvelously so. Betty Ann Fitzgerald. I, I think she's the best part of the movie. Yeah, oh, uh, interesting. We're gonna have to put a pin <laughs> in that. <laughs> so uh, I really liked her. Uh, so they do not get along. There's a little flashback as to why that is, uh, like his early attempt to do so. Um, later on, you see them all going for a drink at some nightclub where a hypnotist is performing. Played by Winchester from Mash, <laughs> David Ogden Steers, R.I.P. I put three exclamation marks in my notes when he showed up. <laughs> <laughs> So he very delightfully is uh, hypnotizing and he asks for o- members from the audience and the two people who go up are, of course, Woody Allen and Helen Hunt. Um, and then he hypnotizes them so that they are in love. I thought it was going to do an office space style thing where the hypnotist was going to spontaneously die and they were going to remain in love. But that's not what happens. He uh, wakes them up from their trance and they don't remember anything. And, they're, and they're not in love. And they're not in love anymore and their friends have a good laugh about it. So things then progress on to whatever happens next. And in the middle of the night, Woody Allen gets a phone call and it's the hypnotist who says his trigger word to put him under a trance and then he then gives him instructions to go and rob various places that he has burglar proofed that he has himself installed security so he knows how to get around the security yes and at one point during the the, when they're having a drink he explains you know uh, how i find criminals is i put myself into their mindset and blah 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 and uh, i wouldn't the only person who wouldn't be able i wouldn't be able to catch would be me or something along those lines and he's in instructed that when he wakes up he won't remember anything and that's very much the audience's experience because we don't see any of the fun interesting jewelry heist at all it's right. just like well he's hypnotized and now he is you see somewhere. him like disable a camera yeah. I want lasers here's why I know that I kept falling asleep during this movie <laughs> and I specifically kept falling asleep during one of his little heists. Is your trigger word the same as his? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Robin, Ed, what did you do? <laughs> I don't know. I, I have to watch the news tonight. But yeah, I kept having to rewind back to that part. He does like one thing to indicate that he is doing an elaborate heist where right. it's like, I have touched this electrical box 
And then it's like a shot of the estate, but like you don't yeah. see, like you see little bits of him interacting with people while under trance. Like he talks to the night guard yeah. at his office in his like weirdly formal hypnotist speak. And that is charming. So I just wanted more of that. And you do not get it. Also, it plays the best part of the score when anyone, some, whenever someone is under trance, it's like banjo. It's like, yeah, it's like banjo pink panther. Music. It's amazing. So when I first watched this, I was obsessed with that song. It's by, it's by <laughs> Wilbur de Paris. Ah. And I went out and found his like greatest hits album that had that song on it yeah. because I was like, this is the best <laughs> song Woody Allen has used in a movie since like Manhattan. Also, Mike Rubino, everybody. I feel like maybe every time Mike says something very intelligent and good about movies, we should just put that in. <laughs> okay, Charlie Theron is in this movie. This so keeps yeah. happening, these heists. So that, that keeps happening. The first people he robs are the Kensingtons, a very wealthy family. So he goes to investigate the scene of the crime. There's police officers there. Private detectives get caught in, in the next one, I think. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, he, he runs into Charlie Theron who inexplicably tries to seduce him and is like, I'm used to movie stars and muscular athletes, but for some reason I want to go home with you. At least he <laughs> wrote that line in. Yeah. Because I feel like in Celebrity, obviously it was played by his younger avatar, or better looking avatar, but still, like the idea that all of the women in Celebrity were just like, let's bone Kenneth Branagh, did not make sense. It right. still did not make sense here. Because oh, no, I don't no, think it clearly doesn't make sense. Okay. But at least he like did some lip service to explaining it. At some point in his career, it it got... Like, it happens in every single one of his movies that he appears in. Yeah. At some point, he started, like, writing these throwaway lines about, like, I would never go for a man as nebbish as you, or <laughs> right. a man as old as you, or whatever. But maybe. today... But yeah. today's the day. Today's yeah. the day. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, it's awkward. And this whole movie is peppered with a massive amount of, like sexual dialogue and like, like suggestive stuff yeah like, he's like i'll grow on you and he means his boner right and it's like it's like <laughs> it's like if someone were to make a movie of the video game series ledger suit larry like everything is some way innuendoized i love the way british people say leisure <laughs> like, leisure suit like ledger like you write in a ledger i got it so yeah so that kind of thing happens all the time almost every woman he meets uh, has that kind of reaction all three women in the movie right so he is then investigating this crime scene and he's like it's got to be an inside job and no one else would be able to get past the security i made it secure myself etc then of course he gets another phone call during the night does another robbery off screen with great music and this keeps happening eventually private investigators get called in and they are able to tie like three pieces of evidence directly to him from all three crime scenes he is then arrested uh, in the meantime helen hunt is uh, having an affair with their the managing director of the insurance company. Played by a joyless Dan Aykroyd. Yep. <laughs> That's a good description of him. I In remember, this movie. I yeah. remember being shocked at his weight when I saw him. <laughs> I was like, whoa, you look different from Ghostbusters. And yeah. I, seeing him in 2018, was like, oh, he was still pretty trim back then. <laughs> same, same. So but this like, is his midway point. Yes. But for a screwball comedy, they were like, let's make sure this bankable comic star says nothing funny the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of a sad sack. So 
she is at one point Roan Woody Allen's host for whatever contrived reason. Woody Allen is looking into her because he thinks because it's an inside job, it has to be her. So he's in her apartment when Dan Aykroyd dumps her. So he saves her from suicide. So they have this uncomfortable bond. Which seems wildly out of character. Correct. And then, so he's been looking into her and then she feels bad that every uh, suspicion is directed to him because he was kind to her. So she comes to his apartment basically like, they're coming for you, just so you know. Uh, she eventually discovers the j- stolen jewels in his house. Yes. Because she has to hide in the bedroom while the private detectives are grilling him at yes. the door. So she then turns him in, he gets arrested. Charlie's Theron then shows up at the police station while he's handcuffed to a pole and... He then writes a reason why she has to kiss him to <laughs> pass him the key. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so well, he yeah. unlocks sure, himself yeah. and escapes. That was my Theronator. No fault of hers. Oh, see, right. for me, it was the opening the trench coat. Okay. I thought that was oh, worse. Oh, God. Yeah, that's even worse. So, anyway, uh, <laughs> just I got that was my trigger. <laughs> so he uh, escapes and then. Uh, starts investigating. He has like a net, like Sherlock Holmes has a network of homeless informants. And he has somebody who's wearing the Robin Hood blind guy sunglasses that yes. he goes to. <laughs> I loved that character. Yeah, that was <laughs> he great. was my favorite part of the whole movie. And I looked him up and apparently he's like a like formative comic. Like he's like a big deal. Do you know anything about this, Mike? I, do, well, I, I, I mean, I just kind of recognized him, but I couldn't tell you where he was from. His name is Professor something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's his parents. title or his first name is his, Professor? His like, stage name? His stage name oh, is okay. Professor Erwin Corey. Oh, there he is. Why are you giggling? <laughs> because it's such a weird thing to be like, we got to make sure you know who this guy who has got three lines in this terrible seventeen-year-old <laughs> yeah. movie is. I just enjoy our conceit. I it's because he was apparently an important comedian, and we are comedians. I'm not judging you. Okay. I just think it's adorable he that played, this is what we do. He played Poppy and Jack. Oh dear! Yeah, wow. uh, Robin Williams film. I saw that movie in the theater. In my head, I'm just hearing the banjos every time I <laughs> say something. Ugh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so he, uh, at one point, he escapes and goes to Helen Hunt's house, uh, apartment, and then while he is there, she gets a phone call from Zoltan. Zoltan. Whatever his name Wasn't is. Wasn't it Voltan? I can't remember. Zoltan is the, uh, or Zoltar is the, one of them is the, oh, the machine from Big. It's Voltan. Yeah. It's, Vol- yeah, Voltan Polgar. There Voltan Polgar. Sure. So Because the cops have all the jewels. So he's like, I got to get my backup broad to do some more stealing. I just, I made a note of Voltan Polgar because at one point they call the police and say, you have to look for a man named Voltan Polgar. And I'm like, I don't think that's his name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or if it is his name, you will find him immediately. <laughs> Didn't the professor so-and-so say his name was Gary? Like yeah. Gary Polgar? Yeah, <laughs> I think it was that. <laughs> So, so Helen Hunt gets a call from him, uh, and then she is then tasked with going and stealing some jewels. And when she comes back, uh, he is yet to deprogram her because she hasn't fallen asleep yet. So she wakes up Woody Allen uh, accidentally and then confesses her love to him because she's still under trance. Because apparently that stuck around, which he had yeah. also done already. When he, yeah. when she had the jewels at his apartment and he got the phone call, then he confessed his love to her and was right. like, "Let's talk about this later, though. Get out." But by the way, I love you. And now she's unbuttoning his top and trying to jump him, and he's like, "Ee ee ee ee." Then things become obviously increasingly obvious to everyone. 
At uh, one point, they just literally are like, oh, so clearly you're still hypnotized. Because right. Sean Wallace is Wallace an amateur. Sean. Wallace Sean, one of those, is an amateur magician, which is why they went to that event in the first place, because it was his birthday. And he's like, no worries, I'm good at card tricks, and I can definitely control hypnotized people. So, like, definitely convenient guy. And he just does. He just yes, does. He just does. So he deprograms Woody Allen, and then they use the time-honored tradition of someone wrote down an address, and you can see it underneath on the next paper or something. Yeah, and despite the fact that the first time Zoltan was trying to get, uh, whatever his name is, Winchester was trying to get the jewels delivered to him, and he was very carefully like, put it in a place where I am not this time. He's like, even though I got caught last time, just meet me personally. I I wrote that down. He gets rid of the dead drop for stupid plot reasons. He has no reasons. He doesn't ever say why he wants the jewels. Uh, how he knew to pick those well, people, or I how he knew why he jewels. wants the jewels. But I would like a little bit more backstory for uh, anyone in this movie. Uh, or, like, who his, like, severe banged assistant is, and why she's just like... Yeah, she has no... I thought it was B.B. Newworth at the beginning. It with, is definitely it's not. not. Yeah, he, he gets deprogrammed, and they do the thing where I was like, I, this is the only part of the writing that I enjoyed, was when Wallace Shawn, mm-hmm. like... Like they figure out that he can be hypnotized and triggered, and then he he does the normal thing of like you will not remember anything when you wake up, and then that's what happens. And then he's like, hold on, let's just do the opposite of that. It's like you will remember everything when right. you wake up, and then he immediately remembers everything. And I was like, oh, that was actually intelligent, relatively writing. clever. Yeah. All right, uh, let's get to the end so we can start tearing. All right. It down. So, uh, so then uh, he, looking at Helen Hunt's note, goes to to the same rendezvous place. Zoltan has a fireworks factory. Conveniently, a fireworks factory in Chinatown. And uh, Zoltan does, decides, for no apparent reason, when faced with someone he had successfully hypnotized, does not try to rehypnotize him. He yes. doesn't say his yeah. trigger word. He's just like, "Ah, oh, you figured I'm just it out." Shoot you, and then inexplicably doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he cartoonily runs away. Yes, yes. <laughs> <Burned> <laughs> And that's the last we see of him. Yeah. yeah Goodbye, yeah. Winchester. Uh, Wait, does he, like, get away? No, the cops are going after him. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, he gets arrested. Then, so, it's just Woody Allen and Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt still under trance. Importantly. And then Woody Allen decides to take advantage and... It's so upsetting, guys. Yeah, decides that he's going (laughs) to French kiss her and (laughs) she will do so willingly because she is uh, hypnotized. And he does it, his justification for it is like, you love me so much under your hypnotic state that everyone should feel that way once, even if it's not actually how they feel and they have no agency in it. But I'm giving you this gift. Of Aren't you have I this such good... a great guy? Yes, I'm. Oh. I'm, do- I'm giving you a memory. <laughs> but guess what, guys? It's about to get more upsetting. Yeah, <laughs> at least at first. But then all the fireworks go off because I think we're supposed to be really excited that this has happened. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like an uplifting moment. Yeah, and it's just not. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then in the denouement, goodness gracious, <laughs> Helen Hunt's character and Dan Aykroyd's character are going on a trip together. What happens is Woody Allen decides that he's really in love with Helen Hunt's character, even though all they've done is yell at each other the entire movie. So he goes well, in normal. while she's That's packing. how movies work. <laughs> but usually they're charming at some point yeah. throughout the film. And then he goes in and he's like, oh, but I really love you. Isn't it enough that I love you? And Dan Aykroyd's kind of like, uh, this is my girlfriend and you're being annoying. And he's like, is it? Is it annoying for me to profess my love to someone who's not in love with me? And then she's about to leave with Dan Aykroyd. And he says, as she's walking away from him, having not like listened to him or given him satisfaction, are you guys going to Madagascar? So he re-hypnotizes her. 
And then she's like, I'm actually in love with you. And Dan Aykroyd's like, oh, shucks. And then disappears. He's just like, I accept. No, he goes, he's like, tell my wife that I don't want a divorce. Yeah. And the secretary's like, there's going to be some new ground rules in your house. He offers both resistance to the current situation and recompense to his wife within the same breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I was like, I want this woman helped, and also I want to go back to my wife, like, straight yeah. away. Yeah. Well, because yeah. he also dumps Helen Hunt in one scene, almost sending her out a window to her death, and then the next day is like, never mind, I'm getting a divorce. But the yeah. plot demanded that he do that, yeah. so he did. So Helen Hunt hypnotizes, like, let's go away together, and Woody Allen awkwardly is like, I'll try to make sure you feel this way for real, and then everyone in the office knows that that was her trigger word. And they're like, I guess he's going to have to say that trigger word every morning. Am I right? Let's definitely keep her against her will forever. Am I right? (laughs) And then Helen Hunt jokingly is like, I didn't say your trigger word. And we basically find out that she wasn't actually hypnotized that... Sean Wallace? Wallace Sean. (laughs) Sean comma Wallace had deprogrammed her. So it wasn't actually as gross as you thought it was, but it was gross for a while. The fact that I ever considered that it might end with Woody Allen going off to the sunset with a hypnotized woman says a lot about Woody Allen. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a very, like, I wish the movie had just ended. Even if, even though it was, like, gross, I would have just been happy with the kiss and the fireworks going off. And then, like, her waking up or something. And that being the end of the movie. Like, this whole last bit was is so weird and so like unnecessary like it's it's as if they were like well uh woody we had to fill about 10 more minutes <laughs> and it's only an hour and 20 minutes yeah it's only an hour and 20 minutes we've got about 10 minutes left to fill uh you, there's a whole bunch of like b and c plots you want to just like tie them all up in a bow <laughs> as quickly as possible it was so infuriating on so many levels, like, that that was the ending, that I'm already losing what my original point was going to be. <laughs> Why was she pretending? Because, because they she, have... She wanted an out with her relationship with Dan Aykroyd. Why like, can't she say, I don't want to be with you, Dan Aykroyd? Which she had previously said <laughs> yeah. in the in previous scene. Because Woody Allen's character is willing to accept happiness at the price of someone having no will. That just all that they have inside them is adoration for him. Like, that's the moment when he kisses her. Right. And that's, I, and like, and when she's leaving, he's basically like, I'd rather have you not as a person than let anyone else have you. Yeah. I'm willing to <laughs> hypnotize you so that you're not who you are rather than let you walk out the door with someone who I doesn't think is good for you. And the entire movie, Helen Hunt's character is like, you're a worm, you're vermin, you're gross. And I kept being like, that just doesn't seem necessary because he hasn't done anything reprehensible the entire movie, but she has such like low for him but he hasn't actually done anything deserving of it that's a good point but in the final moment i was like this is when you are winning her by proving that she's been right all along and that you don't deserve anyone he only thinks about love and writes about love in these like lofty idealistic senses that like conformed it whatever he wants it to be or whatever like uh sort of fits his mood at the moment but like if you dig deeper or think about it in context of like the story doesn't never plays out doesn't really it's always just about like getting like it's it's like the hollywood ending needs to happen but also i've set up this weird situation and i'm gonna make i'm gonna force them together right the ho- i've got to get the girl in the end yeah even if it's creepy and i'm not gonna think about it for more than a second <laughs> yeah um and that's that's it's that's problematic and what's <laughs> what's, what's what's disappointing because i completely agree with you but like the a plot or the the whole jewelry thievery plot 
I freaking love. Like, I would just love somebody to take the hypnotist jewelry yes. thing and just remake it as a different movie. It could be funny. It doesn't have to, like, whatever it is. But, like, that, I think, is such a cool idea that I haven't really seen done elsewhere in other things. Yeah. But I'm like, that's great. Well, it doesn't even have to have a romantic subplot or whatever. Like, that yeah. I know you use as a vehicle to just to kiss Helen Hunt, but, like, <laughs> yeah. does I wrote, need it? I wrote down in my notes, hypnotism is always a dumb plot point except for Bucky. But by the end of this movie, I was like, no, they've used hypnotism as a plot device very uh, enjoyably. And it, was also, it won me over. It was era appropriate. Because, like, people yeah. were super into that then. You yeah. are right. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I would have loved to have seen more of that. And all I think Woody Allen's best acting is in this is when he's playing his hypnotized self. Yes. Yeah. I think it is. And, like, the you know, scene the, with the music really Theron, helps. And obviously I enjoy it more because it's with Charlie Theron, where she is naked in his bed and he's like, excuse me, madam, I have to go somewhere I now. Have a I was in stitches, which I did not expect. Speaking of Charlize Theron, this is a Charlize Theron podcast, so let's talk about her. Okay. Uh, Do you guys have uh, Charlize Zeniths? So I do have a Charlize Zenith. Mine is when, I I thought it was one of the only pieces of funny banter, which is where she finds him in the police department trying to, they've been trying to explain to him what he's done that he hasn't remembered and he goes to her did i really kick you out of bed and she goes why you thinking of using the insanity defense <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah, that's good uh, and she really sells it like she's like almost angry when she's like so this is one of the only times when we have watched a movie since we started doing charlie zenith where i was like i don't have one mm. like i'll say it i don't think she's good in this movie and like part of it could be the script which i think is incredible incredibly clunky and wooden and I think like the the aims at banter are so far off the mark like I just think about like movies like Down With Love where it's sort of like we don't like each other we're sniping the whole time but there's a charm to both the characters mm. and the repartee is like actually quick and and moves and I feel like Charlize is like I think a lot of the actors are are weirdly wooden in this so it was tough for me to pick one but then ultimately what I went with is when she is like leaving half after having Frenched Woody Allen and a cop is like, was like, what are you doing? And I'm getting you out of here. She squirms out of his touch. Like, don't touch me. Like, get your hands off me. I just choose to believe that that's her being like, yeah, I wish I weren't in this. (laughs) (laughs) So last week, my Theronator was her bad wig. Mm. So this week, my Charlie Zenith is her amazing wig because her Veronica Lake hair is out of sight. That is a great wig. <laughs> a plus. Would you agree that her acting in this is weird? Uh, I mean, I think everyone's acting in this is weird. She has yeah. no, she has nothing to work with. True. I don't, I don't particularly have one, but I think <laughs> I, when you were describing this segment, I was thinking of her squirming out of the policeman's uh, grasp yeah. for some reason, just because it felt like the first time that she was actually like having an act, uh, an earned reaction yeah. of the, from the situation that she was in. But I agree. Like, I think that her casting was stunt casting or perhaps uh, just because at this time everybody wanted to be in a Woody Allen movie. But, like, it, it easily, unfortunately for her, could have been played by anybody because it wasn't 
Yeah. There wasn't much to do there. Yeah, I kept thinking, like, particularly in the beginning scene between them, like, the banter between them is so stilted and gross. And, like, I think at some point, like, he threatens to, like, knock her around. He's like, or, like, I don't know. He definitely says that to Helen Hunt. Like, you know, if you were a man, like, I'd punch you in the face or something along those lines. So, like, real cool. And, like, their banter back and forth is always things like, well, care if you don't fall and break all your legs on the stairs and stuff like that. And you're like... That was such an awkward line reading. Yeah. Just the awkward. The line, the worst was, like... I hope you don't choke at breakfast because no matter how hard you cough, you're not going to get that toast out of your throat and then you'll asphyxiate. I, I was think like, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but those jokes that Helen Hunt were saying, I'm sure they look great on paper. And it was like, oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I got this character quirk where she says very elaborate, I, you know, oh, I injure yourself. It was and supposed she to be a get j- the joke. Yes, it was supposed to be a joke that it was like, I'm a nerd. I'm so much of a nerd in an efficiency expert that like, my wisecracks at you are inefficient and very long. She delivers them like they are witty barbs and they are not. It is bad. The first scene with Woody Allen and Charlie Theron, I thought a lot about things we've learned in improv, which is like, it felt to me like a beginner's improv, like improv scene where it was just like, I'm adding a bunch of new stuff and reasons without ever saying like, why? Like back to the point of like, why would this person who is an heiress and incredibly beautiful and has a fiance be like, ah, a 65 year old insurance investigator who I caught going through my shoes in my closet like a creep. That's the man I want to bone. Like they just don't really like ever address why she would do any of the things that she does in this movie. Okay. So Ebert or Mebert. Charlize Theron plays Laura Kensington, a woman with the dangerous beauty of a classic femme fatale, but without any real importance to the plot. Mebert. Ebert. Ebert. That is a Mebert. What? Oh. I think it's the only time I've ever gotten it right. <laughs> you say that every time you get it right. Uh, I think it's, it's definitely the only time I've gotten it right where I'm the Other only people have it. Okay. I usually just throw. defer to Bob Shields, who's pretty good about it. Actually, I've, been, I've had a losing streak recently. I, well, after, you know, getting me every time for the first <laughs> 30 episodes. You wised up. What was his overall impression? Two and a half stars and kind of the Woody Allen makes... A lot of movies, they're not all winners. <laughs> Fair. Fair. I do think the best part of this movie, in addition to the banjos, is just the soundtrack overall. Like, whenever they put music on, like, it's delightful. This, I I feel like my dad had this CD in our car at some point. Like, if this movie has a soundtrack, I feel like he owned it. He uses almost the same soundtrack for all of his movies, but, like, when it's a modern <laughs> film, it doesn't really make as much sense or doesn't feel good. So, like... The fact that it was set in 1940 and actually had 40s music. Mm-hmm. I liked the costumes in this movie. I like the sets. Like, it mm-hmm. looks it looks a little cheap. Like, it reminds me a lot of A&E used to do those Nero Wolf TV movies. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. it looks like that, but in a really charming way. Like, I thought it was a very, it had a nice feel to it. Yeah, like it looked very pleasant, and other than like the horrible ending, like for the most part, it was like oh, largely unobjectionable. Yeah, but I think like one of my like main concerns with the movie is that because we know the conceit of what's happening, like we know exactly what's happening, and we telegraph the ending like right at the beginning, it was super boring to me. Like when you said you kept yeah. falling asleep, I was like, yeah, because I'm just I'm just slogging through repeated barbs and repeated heists that were exactly the same as the heist he just did like there's literally no change it's it's yeah. a movie it's a detective movie with no mystery yeah yeah that's true yeah and there's no heightened there's nothing really that gets heightened in their situation like no. as far as like if if they were truly trying to solve how or trying to track down this guy right uh, but he kept 
triggering them. Like, yeah, they're you know, and, and they both are fired, and it, like it really could have escalated in a way that it, it didn't because it's almost you know he came up with a, an amazing what I think an amazing premise, yeah, mm-hmm. and then was like yeah, okay that's good I'm another gonna... improv problem. Yeah, I've got a great <laughs> premise for this, which is like hypnotist robbing. Bank robbing houses. Great. First thought, best yeah. thought, Woody Allen. Yeah. <laughs> also, <laughs> like, what a good title and idea to have a Jade Scorpion. And I love like uh, Winchester being like the Scorpion wants you to do whatever. He was awesome. That guy was amazing. E- everyone <laughs> in Mash is a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> so what I wanted to say about Helen Hunt earlier mm-hmm. is that I think that, and not just her, I think kind of across the board, I would have liked to see people play a little bit more Arch. You know, like, Dan Aykroyd obviously can do that, like, hard-boiled 40s voice, and he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I would have liked to see Helen Hunt, like, play it a little bit more, like, Rosalind Russell-y. Gotcha. Okay. Like, I wanted well, like, it to be more cartoony, basically. Like, Renee Zellweger yes. in Down With Love. I haven't seen that, but yes. Or Dick Tracy. I mean, it was, yeah. it almost looked like Dick Tracy. Right. They should have just leaned into it. Be, and now it might have not worked. It might not. It might have just ended up feeling cheesy. Mm. But I'm also I'm just kind of a sucker for that. Like I love Dick Tracy, for example. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that was missing. And I think Helen Hunt in particular felt like a woman in 2001. She was straight out of Mad About You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also wonder if they had acted in a more arch fashion, if that, like, style, like, leaning into that stylistically would have forgiven some of the, like, because they're acting in a, in a naturalistic way. Yeah. Like, I'm looking for more, like, well, why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe was thinking, why are you doing this while pawing at your head just there? adorable. <laughs> Mavis, fifth chair, just tapped me on the head and be like, you're so right, Regina. <laughs> it really was like a condescending head pat from a cat. Talk about naturalist acting all you want. Can we talk about one of my favorite terrible lines in this movie? Well, please. (laughs) This is everything I love and hate about Woody Allen, the artist, in one sentence. Would you forget about logic and give me the benefit of the doubt? (laughs) I hate how much I love that line. (laughs) Uh, Would this film be improved by a prison riot i don't think it would necessarily be harmed by it aside from as we discussed last week yeah problematic gaze stuff but it doesn't need it gaze g-a-z-e yeah yes (laughs) (laughs) that's a snippet that can be taken really badly out of context (laughs) better call ledger suit larry What do you think? Uh, I kind of agree. I'm like, I wrote probably not because of similar reasons to celebrity. Like, I don't trust him to do a good job with it. I think it would just be objectionable. It would fit into the plot less awkwardly. Yeah. Right. I mean, he does get arrested. And so right. like, that could have been a better way for him to get out of jail than the the kiss from Charlize. Yes. Like, oh, a, a small riot. I don't know. Like. Maybe it's a um, kerfuffle. Uh, <laughs> a prison kerfuffle. A, a jail kerfuffle right. uh, could, could have freed him. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah. you're right. Like, he does not, Lee Allen does not film violence or action well at all. Just as, right. So it would have probably been kind of lame. Yeah. I think that Mike has convinced me, though. I think I would have rather seen a jail kerfuffle yeah. than Charlie's kissing I Lee think Allen. you're right. All yeah. of a jail kerfuffle, especially if he does the jail <laughs> kerfuffle the way that he filmed the heist. Which is like you see a second of Woody Allen like prep to it, and then it's just like, well, it's already happened, and we all know we all know that a jail kerfuffle just went down, and they can yeah, play right. that banjo music. Oh, yeah, well, you, you know, perfect. What would, it would it would be 
kerfuffle happening in the like blurry in the background while Woody Allen looks both ways and then what runs off screen and that would be his escape. Yeah, yeah. especially <laughs> if he ran the same way that Winchester ran. Extra points. <laughs> <laughs> Arms akimbo. <laughs> So, who should Keanu Reeves replace? I think one of the real detectives who is there to threaten Woody Allen's masculinity. Cooper Smith? The Cooper Smith detectives. I feel like they could have had more, like, because they're just two schmoes, right? I would have loved for it to be, like, Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. Especially because, like, they were actually good. Well, that's what I was going to say. I liked those guys because they looked like cartoon terrible detectives, but then they were actually competent Competent investigators. Yeah. So wouldn't it be even funnier, though, if he was like, look at these meatheads, and then they were good detectives? I think Keanu... I would have actually replaced Winchester with Keanu just to hear him say the trigger words. Oh yes, Madagascar. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I was gonna I was gonna replace Winchester much as I love him in this movie, but I think I love him too much, so I was gonna replace the heavy banged assistant (laughs) and just have the heavy banged assistant do the promo for it because I would love to hear Keanu be like Zoltan the Magnificent. (laughs) Uh, So I would replace Woody Allen. Okay. With modern, a valid choice. With Always day, a good way to go. Yeah. Modern day grizzled Keanu Reeves. Because I think it would be funny to have him play the, you know, the hard-boiled detective that he plays in whatever recent movies that he's done, and then suddenly go into soft-spoken trance voice. Oh, yeah. I just think that would be really funny. And similar <laughs> to the way that I think that Helen Hunt could have been more Rosalind Russell-y, like, the Woody Allen character could have been more of a stereotypical hard-boiled detective. Yes. yes. The character is not dependent on Woody Allen mannerisms. Is any. Anyway. Anyways. So, Zol- <laughs> Voltaire? Voltaire. It's Voltaire? definitely Voltaire. Voltaire, yeah. Yeah. So, Voltaire and his assistant Candide, and... <laughs> nerd jokes! And replacing uh, Woody Allen and replacing... One oh, of the Cooper Smith Cooper's detectives. detectives. I also thought for a hot minute about replacing Dan Aykroyd, mm. but I think the ending would be even more devastating. That so... she could be necking with Keanu Reeves and is like, nah, the old perv, that's who I want. <laughs> oh, I have one real quick note. The title card at the very beginning for VCL, yes. who was a German production company who bought some Woody Allen movies, and their title card their production logo is like the scariest thing i've ever yeah. seen I, it looks like uh you know a straight to video production company from the 80s and it plays this like creepy fascist music yeah and they're german <laughs> yes. yeah you're not wrong that's on the dvd okay yeah and it is very much because he was full like all of his movies nowadays are full of european funding because they love him yeah, yeah. I, I was like he will take money from any studio <laughs> yes do you think like just them being like haha hollywood like we're gonna make sure you can't get rid of this blemish on your record okay so as we go into ranking it i need to apologize to our listeners that i never put in our rankings for sleepwalking i will correct that after this but it we may be slightly off the mark in ranking this right now because we are missing a film we'll of course correct next episode so tune in to find out i mean tune in (laughs) anyway yeah i am gonna put this oof it's hard. I'm actually putting this much higher than I think I was going to. Ditto. I'm putting this above the life and death of Peter Sellers and below Hancock. Wow. So I am also putting mine one above the life and death of Peter Sellers. 
Tight, tight, tight. Uh, which makes it higher than Hudson Winter's War and one below Head in the Clouds. I always like when things are below Head in the Clouds. <laughs> <laughs> I similarly am putting it a little higher than I think it probably deserves, but it's just such a, a buoyant bounce from how much I hate its celebrity. Right. I am putting it below Reindeer Games. Yeah, that's valid. Kind of wrong, so but nice. uh, I'm sorry, Robin. It is above head in the clouds. <laughs> well, that's in my top ten, Regina. I still think <laughs> that whatever you feel about the all of the movie, that that is her worst acting we've ever seen. I do, but her acting in this, I also think, is bad. But I'm going to blame it on the terrible script. I uh, I do have an important follow up about Jador. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So I get the Ulta mailer and one of those little fragrance cards came in it. It fell out as I was walking upstairs with the mail and I saw Charlize's face on my stairs and I was like, yes, I am going to know what Jador smells like. Did you say the moment you saw it? Gold is cold. Diamonds are dead. Limo's just a car, am I right, man? Don't pretend. No, I did not. But I brought it to Regina's show and we... Smelled it together. We did. Got a ceremonial sniff. We did. We rubbed <laughs> our mice on paper ritualistically in the Cielo Cabaret bathroom. Bathroom, like you do. Uh, <laughs> it smells like soap. I disagree. <laughs> uh, but Robin, several beers later throughout the night, just kept being like, Regina, soapy. It smells like soap. It smells like soap. So you could add an extra line to that uh, commercial. Just after a limousine is a car, you just say, and perfume is soap. Well, Mike Rubino, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys, this was a blast. Oh, I'm so excited that you brought those insights and your beautiful face, which unfortunately our podcast listeners can't see. Can't see it. Uh, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Just follow Arcade Comedy and um, look for my improv troupe, Warp Zone. We do shows every month at Arcade, and uh, it's always a weird time. Thanks, Alex Reed, for our amazing theme tune. Congrats on your new book, Alex oh my Reed. God. So excited oh, yeah. for you. So, yeah, I saw he's also speaking on, on about Laurie Anderson, which mm-hmm. I find very impressive. Just a wonder, guys. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. He's delightful. At Industrial Book. Yeah, also buy his music, because our theme song's really good, and his music sounds nothing like it, but it's (laughs) really, really good on both sides. Our friends High on Film only have a handful of episodes left, so it's always fun to get in before something ends, so pretend it's the Breaking Bad of podcasts and catch up on all 241 episodes before they end. We only have a handful of episodes left. We have half as many episodes left as they do. Yeah, listen to that, and also listen to their new podcast. It's a four-episode Death at Sunset is delightful. Also, please listen to our friend Sean Collier's podcast, You Can't Handle the Truth. Mike was recently a guest talking about Rampage, and it's one of my favorite episodes of that podcast of all time. <laughs> so a good one, if you've never listened, a good one to enter on. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm currently shopping around my thoughts on Flintstones 2. <laughs> <laughs> so if a podcast wants to have me on to talk about that. Viva Rock Vegas. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that in my brain? Quickly. Yeah, you're like, right who's there. Professor What's-His-Face? But Viva Rock Vegas, that's right at the ready. Right, so Robin and I will have that podcast out <laughs> next month. All right, so uh, once again, thank you so much for listening. And most importantly, thank, thank you, Charlies.
is worse. Huntsman Winter's yeah. War makes no sense. <laughs> Huntsman Winter's War is like number. There's like petroleum gorillas. This is my number eight. That is insane. Guys, guys, just think about how bad what's her face's accent was. Doesn't that sound like a fun thing to do on a Sunday? No! <laughs> that movie is total nonsense and it is where it belongs on my list. Charlie is a fucking great in that movie. She turns Chris from Hemsworth gold to black. Is 